This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The following recording may contain explicit language. I can't get more explicit than may. Let's just say it may. It's Wednesday, February 27th, 2019. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. And like many of you, I am a person. I thought myself consistently to be a person, routinely a person, continuously and continually a person. You could even say that I am uh, an everyday person. I am also an American. Let's note that. So every day I am a person and every day I am an American. And yet it was almost four years ago when Hillary Clinton launched her campaign. She invoked the kind of person I am and it didn't really strike a chord. But the deck is still stacked in favor of those at the top. Everyday Americans need a champion, and I want to be that champion. Some critics pounced on that, that everyday American phrase. I said nothing. I said nothing then. I said nothing the next week or the week after that. I said nothing each and every day. But on this day, today, I say something. Because this has gone on too far. The invocation of everyday people and everyday Americans has become legion. And the calls keep going out. This from NBC's Meet the Press, it's Princeton professor Eddie Glaude. We have to address fundamentally that, that the economy is not working for everyday ordinary folk in, in a way that it should. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez has said it. What this is a celebration of is that everyday people in the community stood up and they wanted... And the mayor of Ocasio-Cortez's fine city, Bill de Blasio, says it too. They were looking for a positive outcome for everyday people. That meant jobs, that meant revenue. Every day, everyday people are meant to mean people more humble than you or more hardworking than you or people who need more support than you or me. They are the better people. When Republicans say the real people, what they mean is something like white people or middle American people. But when politicians talk about everyday people, they're talking about something slightly different. They're just using a phrase to try to justify their policies as appealing to real or better people than their policies actually appeal to. When Amazon left Queens, every day, everyday people were screwed. All of us were screwed. Sure, New York does have a lot of people who aren't everyday people, like the Russians who buy penthouses, but most of the people here are everyday people. We're real Americans. Every day we're Americans. I'm an American. You're an American. We're here every day, and we don't appreciate your championing of policy in the name of better, realer, or more consistent people. And I mean this today. I mean this tomorrow. And I mean this. Wait, I actually, I'm out of town next Fridays, and I have to go to uh, Westchester. No, no. I mean it every day. On the show today, there will be no spiel. I've been forced into a retreat, a corporate retreat. A certain good uh, workflow will come of that. But first, the idea of politicians lying is something that a few years ago, we all as a country pretty much agreed. That's wrong. It's regrettable, but it happens. Into each sunny life of truth, a little rain of lies must fall. And then it became monsoon season. 
ongoing, never-ending monsoon season. And now I've been noticing that politicians other than the president, politicians who you would normally expect to accept being called to account, they're not taking their lumps like they used to. They're pushing back on the very premise of being fact-checked. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez certainly does draw a lot of attention and maybe more scrutiny. She herself has argued she's subject to undue scrutiny. I generally disagree, but I wanted to talk to a journalist who takes her point more to heart. So up now is Eric Levitz, who is a staffer for New York Magazine's Intelligencer section. He is here to affix a meh to all those Pinocchios. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is certainly a phenomenon. She gets a lot of attention, and like many public intellectuals, occasionally says things that aren't true, perhaps more than occasionally. Here is the page on PolitiFact that has counted and accounted for a variety of statements. They rate her claim that in New York City, for every one person experiencing homelessness, there are three vacant apartments, as mostly true. But then it gets bad. ICE is required to fill 34,000 beds with detainees every single night, and that number has only been increasing since 2009. Rated as false. Just last year, we gave the military a $700 billion budget increase, which they didn't ask for. Rated as false. $21 trillion in Pentagon accounting errors. Medicaid for all costs $32 trillion. That means 66% of Medicaid for all could have been funded by the Pentagon. False. In her defeat of Republican Rep. Karen Handel, Democratic challenger Lucy McBath was outspent 5 to 1. False. And then there is the pants on fire claim of unemployment is low because everyone has two jobs. And thus we end all of PolitiFact's accounting of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's claims. Now, she says a lot of true things that don't even come under scrutiny, perhaps just because they're true on their face. And there are other websites out there that have come to different claims. But lately, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's veracity, or lack thereof, itself has become an issue And writing in New York Magazine, Eric Levitz has an article that says, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's critique of fact-checking is valid. AOC is not here. EL is here. Hello, Eric. Thanks for coming by. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me. So you wrote this article before the latest uh, fact-check contratemp, right, between her and Glenn Kessler of the Washington Post, which was about a Martin Luther, because this is a January 9th article on Martin Luther King Day. She did a talk with ta Coates, where she made a number of claims that the uh, Washington Post rated as false, and that she said, no, the uh, underlining documents that you used to rebut my claims was funded by the Koch brothers. So I'll just, before we get into your, your critique of January 9th, what do you think, have you been following the latest back and forth about fact-checking AOC? Yeah, I, I didn't, uh, in my uh, understanding of that, there were some very fair hits that Kessler got on on, on some of the things that Ocasio-Cortez said, but I believe that he also asserted that there was a just a general like economic fact that that I believe... That the Walmart is good for ordinary workers, and he linked to, I believe, a, a 2005 paper by Jason Furman, a former yeah. Obama economist. That paper was hosted on a site that was funded by the Koch brothers, and that's where she decided that it was a Koch brothers study. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, you know, you can. I do think that uh, those on the left are sometimes a little bit quick to reach for the person who is saying this thing that that we do not agree with. 
uh, is the hired puppet of a reactionary capitalist. I think that's often the case in, in certain circumstances, but it, it, it's not always, and it's a hard thing to prove. And so if you have other means of criticizing, probably best to go with those first. Uh, and I think that here the, the argument is that Kessler is stepping outside the bounds of what a fact check should be, which should be really pretty limited to if you're going to call yourself like a, the objective arbiter of what is and is not factual reality, I think you got to stick really close to like things where there isn't much controversy right. about what a fact is. Or, and, or you can weigh in on the controversy, but then come to the conclusion reasonable people could disagree, as yes. opposed to saying only this reasonable person uh, should be heard. Now, I'll read what she actually said. She said, I think it's wrong that one, a vast majority of the country doesn't make a living wage. I think it's wrong that two, you can work 100 hours and not feed your kids. I think it's wrong that three, corporations like Walmart and Amazon can get paid by the government essentially experiencing a wealth transfer from the public. And four, for paying people less than a minimum wage. So Kessler went in. He said that you can actually work 100 hours and not feed your kids. Although I question, I don't question that. It's possible. But if you are getting paid minimum wage, which the minimum minimum wage in America nationally is $725, so 100-hour work week is $725, I guess you could have quite a few kids and quite a few other expenses and not be able to feed them. But on other things, and he rated that three Pinocchios, he said, you know, Amazon is paying everyone who works for them more than minimum wage. Same as Walmart, no matter how they define it. Um, others have shot back and said, well, minimum wage, yes, but not living wage. But she didn't say living wage. She said minimum wage. Yeah, I think that the 100 hours and not feed your kids is an example, I think, of, of Kessler overstepping his bounds as far as, you know, if we're just talking about any hypothetical family, I believe that he is, in his calculation, making an estimate of the number of children that you're trying to feed and, and, and other uh, implicit assumptions about what this household's finances is like. So I, I think that, uh, you know, I think we should allow our politicians to engage in rhetorical flourishes within reason. If they are not literally untrue, I don't think that we need to break out Pinocchio noses. Yeah. Though then again, I would say that there it, it is a stew of uh, of assertions that seem to be able to be checked empirically, and then some value judgments. But when she says the vast majority of Americans are not making a living wage, it's a two step process to see if that's true. One, what's a living wage, which the MIT calculator says is uh, sixteen dollars and some cents, and then I guess for two people, or if you have a family of four, it'd be thirty two dollars. And he found out, according to this. The, the Brookings Institution says that 67% of workers earn at least $16.07. So it seems to me that it's not true that a vast majority of people earn a living wage. I, I, you know, I, I guess AOC could fire back that, that Jason Furman had a paper that was put on a Koch Brothers uh, funded website or something, but I, I, don't, I don't really see the wiggle room in yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I guess that um, I understand that objection and, and, and think it's reasonable. I think that the definition of living wage is an inherently deeply subjective. That's true. Uh, because no one here is talking about a literal living wage because we don't have mass starvation in the United States. Right. That's so right, that's right. we're talking about a subjective judgment of what it means to, to fulfill this minimum standard of American living. A lot of political rhetoric is uh, empty bluster and uh, AOC and 
left-wing politicians are not immune to using phrases that, uh, you know, don't have a very concrete meaning and uh, are more about expressing a general a general mood or 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 larger, broader sort of truth that you're trying to speak to. I think okay, it's normal so in political communication. That's what I want to focus on, the larger truth. I, I, that's what the fact checkers say they're doing, getting at the truth. And in your article that her critique of fact checking is valid, it rests very much on larger moral truths. So I don't want to I could read from your piece, but why don't you tell me what parts of her critique do you think are valid? So the the critique that I think is valid is the question of there's this inherent subjectivity to all journalism, which is that no matter what tone you're taking, no matter what perspective and, and what conventions you're honoring, the reality is complex and crowded and there's so many different things in the world that you could factually report on and you need to uh, exercise editorial judgment and put a frame around the world. Um, and in doing that, inevitably, journalistic institutions reflect the subjective value judgments and, and arguably biases that they embody. And so one argument that she made in the wake of sort of the initial controversy over uh, fact-checking her 60 Minutes interview was that how do we decide whose facts get checked and whose do not and which, uh, you know, what, what truths do we leave unspoken and unexamined and what lies do we leave unexamined? And that's good um, for, like, chin-strokingly, but if the question is who do we decide whose truths get checked or whose facts gets checked, maybe the answer is unfairly yours, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's. Okay, fine. Maybe it's fair, maybe it's not fair. Seems to me like she wants the attention. She should withstand the scrutiny of facts being checked. If a fact checker exists, and if we could use this tool of the fact checker on Donald Trump or on Paul Ryan, you know, AOC, it should be used on her and questions of, well, who has the moral high ground on this argument should be put aside when you're just checking the facts. The vast majority of Americans earn less than a living wage. True or not true? I think the statistics show it's not true. I've read attempts right. to say why it is true, but those are much less compelling than Glenn Kessler's off-derided attempt to say, here's what MIT says, here's what's, what Brookings say. When you correlate them, you find that 67% of people are making more than 1607 an hour. Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I still think that there is... Uh certain, you know, judgments within that calculation as far as, you know, yeah. how many so people in a household are working. So maybe you give her one Pinocchio or maybe, I, I hate the Pinocchios, or maybe you give her right. on that on that dial somewhere in between. It's not pants on fire, but it's not, look, if, if I had, if I was listening to a newscast and the newscaster said that, I go, whoa. And then if I investigated it, I, th I would think a responsible news organization would issue a correction if a reporter or newscaster just said that authoritatively the vast majority of Americans don't make a living wage. Right. And you're right, politicians don't aren't held to that standard, except if we do this thing called fact-checking, which is trying to hold them in in certain statements more or less to that standard. Right. I mean, again, my, my overall argument is not that, uh, that all of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's complaints about fact-checking are correct. No, no, I know, um, I know. That, but I do think that there is... Uh, a valuable critique to be made uh, of of fact checking and the broader uh, pretension towards absolute objectivity that that enterprise 
embodies. I, I think the fact checking think- is is useful, but I think we need to have a a skeptical and ironic attitude towards anyone who who asserts to be uh, the arbiter of of truth, and that you know who fact checks the fact checkers. Yeah. We should have people doing that, and we have had uh, you know in this modern social media blogosphere things, we have people who very ably do that and have actually gotten fact checkers to correct their fact right, checks. Right, I get it. Ye wielder of Pinocchio's, what gives you the right and holding everyone accountable. But right. that's, I think, my fundamental worry is the very idea of accountability. So in the 60 Minutes interview, Ocasio-Cortez said, I think there's a lot of people more concerned about being precisely, factually, and semantically correct than about being morally right. And I said, that may be true, and we've talked about what's, you know, can can a fact checker take morality into account? That may be true, but it also does open the door to, well, if we agree with your stance morally, we'll give you more leeway, or these statements of facts needn't be true, or we'll even take these possibly untrue statements of facts as true because you have the moral stance. And I find it good that there's one part of the internet or the newspaper that's standing aside from all of that saying everyone gets subject to this scrutiny and we're going to do it the best we can. And, you know, maybe this is broader than fact-checking. I think that I think that if I had time, I could find examples that implicate it. But I think that that is the case already, that there is, and perhaps it, it's getting eroded by, by challenge, but there is a worldview that the mainstream journalistic uh, media tends to occupy, and when people operating within that, you can call it a moral framework or just a, a epistemological one, when they make assertions, they are treated with less scrutiny. So the the, the part of her critique that I am endorsing is that we should have these meta questions about what, how possibly the dutiful interrogation of small factual claims can, if if done in a selective way, intentionally or otherwise, actually produce a, a picture of the world that is uh, misleading in certain ways. Yeah, I would think her critique would go further if she didn't make so many errors of fact along the way. Uh, I mean, I think that that's, I, I believe that uh, she, you know, uh, herself did say that she you know, thanked PolitiFact eventually uh, for its work and, and said that she would strive to do better in that front. And I, uh, I certainly would encourage uh, her and, and any politician to not make false assertions. Yeah. I think an interesting thing that was going on in the 60 Minutes interview is that AOC and AC360 were actually talking about two slightly different things. So when Ocasio-Cortez talked about essentially nitpicking slight misstatements, Anderson Cooper, I think, heard it as, oh, you're saying this sheet of statements he had in front of him, like dismissing uh, employment claims as because people are working two jobs. It's like, oh, you're thinking of those as just semantic mistakes. And what she was talking about, do you remember this thing where Sarah Palin retweeted a conservative critique that she didn't know all the branches of government? Because she did like a Snapchat or online talk. And she said, you know, the legislative, the the executive and the Senate, and then she correct herself and then said the judicial. It was it was literally like that. It was literally just a stumble. So AOC could have been talking about people jump on a word here or there. And Anderson Cooper could have heard, well, I'm in the I'm in the holding public figures to account business. It seems more serious than that. Yeah. Again, I think that there is, you know, a, a critique about um the perspective of the media as far as uh, you know, vigilance, justified vigilance 
when a politician is suggesting a, a massive increase uh, in the government's role in a certain uh, endeavor, saying, well, well, okay, but level with the public about what this is going to do to their tax rates, what, what, what are the costs of what you are proposing? That vigilance is uh, excellent. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But um, at the same time, you know, there are credible, uh, there's credible research to suggest that uh, our decision as a country to create a healthcare system where, you know, between 27 and 30 million people don't have insurance uh, produces tens of thousands of preventable deaths every year. And uh, I would like to, and I imagine that uh, AOC would also like to, see some vigilance uh, about that, yeah. that policy. And when when politicians propose doing nothing to change the healthcare system, uh, or in fact propose, you know, rolling it back, that, that, we, that we ask them, you know, uh, well, h- how many how many preventable deaths are you comfortable with, uh, right. or or what w- what is you know presenting the costs of inaction, preventing the costs of the status quo, and presenting the costs of private sector market failures, and, and holding uh, politicians to account for those? I believe that that is not done uh, with nearly the same vigor as uh, policing how much progressive programs will cost. Eric Levitz is an associate editor of New York Magazine's Intelligencer, which means he writes astutely about politics, and he wrote about AOC and the truth. Thanks for coming in, Eric. Yep, thank you. And that's it for today's show that just was produced by Daniel Schrader and Pierre Bienname, who want to start issuing Geppettos. Because really, if we focus on the Pinocchios, what about the conditions that created all this lying in the first place? So you get a Geppetto... And I get a blue fairy. T.J. Raphael is senior producer of Slate Podcasts. She gives AOC a pants on fleek. I mean, have you seen her pants game and the pencil skirt? Very fashionable woman. The gist, you realize that Anderson Cooper's day job is Anderson Cooper 360. And then he goes on another show on the weekends called 60 Minutes. I just wonder what he does with that extra 300. And if he thinks the 60 minutes is a step down from the 360, or it's one of the rare occasions where he doesn't just end up where he started off. Oomperu, depperu, dupperu, and thanks for listening.